0: During our Sunday evenings, we've been looking at what it means to be a radical disciple. Again, I'll show you the book cover. Uh, It is one that I encourage you if you're out in a Christian bookshop to purchase and have a read at yourself. Um, As I've been reading through it more and more, it really is John Stott, uh, one of his best in telling us or sharing with us his lessons uh, from over 60 years in ministry, uh, of studying the Bible, of commenting on it and preaching it about how we are to be disciples of Jesus. And not just normal disciples, but radical disciples who can have the influence and change in this world. Tonight we turn our thoughts to simplicity. What it means to live simply. It is hard in our Northern Irish culture not to be influenced by the things around us when it comes to to living a life that the world dictates we should live. For many years, over the past 10 or 15, I guess, people who were in their 20s, 25, 30, whenever they had got a job and were starting to settle down, the encouragement was to buy property. That was what you needed to have a good, steady life. Buy property. And then once you bought your property, you were to furnish it, just like everyone else was doing it. So everything matched from the plates to the curtains, the bedspreads to the waste paper bins. Everything was to match. It was all for one purpose, so that your home could be as nice as the next person. Because once you had a nice home, that was it. You were settled. And it seemed that it was the possessions that caused us contentment and settlement. Or we're influenced as we go with our shopping trolleys, or baskets around our supermarkets buy one get one free we think it's a great deal but if it's something like 20 apples that we're never going to use within a week before they go off is it really that great a deal i really think the supermarkets see me coming because i'm like a magpie i'm attracted by the silver and the gold the things the possessions if it's a good deal why not go for it When the truth is, I really don't need it at all. I think one of the the biggest items, speaking to friends who have been married in the past 10 years, one thing that they've regretted putting on their wedding list was a bread maker. It was a great idea at the time, making fresh bread. But when the reality of married life kicked in, it was discovered the bread maker just couldn't be used as often as it was liked. And so it was resigned to the back of the cupboard. A nice idea a nice object and possession to have. But yet the convenience of buying our bread at 72p was better than the hour it took to make our own bread. We like the idea of what we can have, that we justify by by thinking it'll make our lives simpler and easier when in fact it just adds to hassle. So we think tonight about living simply. And Stopp dedicates a chapter in his book to this, one of his longer chapters. And in that chapter, he brings out 10 different points that were brought up at a conference that came out of the 1972 Lausanne meeting. And they challenged this little working group to come together with a paper about what it meant to reject the things that the world was influencing us on, our purchases how we lived and in what way we lived and instead looking simply at what it meant to live the way Christ lived. And so he dedicates his chapter to this and I want to draw out of that chapter just one thing tonight. And it's the example that we read in Acts chapter 4 of how the early church lived. Their mindset and their mentality. They were a community. They were people they had one thing in common, and that was Jesus Christ. They were a people who were a minority, who had been hunted down by the authorities. And they came together. And the first thing that we read about the, these believers was that they were one in heart. Verse 32 of chapter 4 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. These people had just been through possibly one of the greatest experiences of their lives. And it wasn't just one of these human experiences that is here for a moment and is gone the next, that we get caught up in. This was a life-changing moment, and it was earlier on in Acts, and it was Pentecost. It wasn't that long ago, and as we read through chapter 4, we discover that the Spirit comes afresh again. In verse 31, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They came in celebration and in prayer for what had happened with the apostles. And with that grew their fellowship and their understanding and knowledge of God, so much so that the expression was that they spoke the word of God boldly. What a great moment to be caught up in the spirit. Not a spiritual high that was for one moment only, but something that they would change their lives, draw them closer together as a people, and draw them closer to God. And that moment would hold with them as they faced the darker days of persecution. And Luke takes us from this point at the end of verse 31. And he takes us to a very practical consideration. As we said, they were all uh, one heart and one heart and mind. And he continues to tell us that no one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything that they had at the end of verse 32. In moving from the spiritual moment, Luke very quickly goes to what was practical. And he is concerned to show that the fullness of the Spirit is manifest in deed as well as word, service as well as witness, love for the family as well as testimony to the world. Being in fellowship like this was the fundamental solidarity of love which the believers enjoyed And their economic sharing was but one expression of the union of their hearts and minds, so writes John Stott. And from this shared commitment to each other, we can see three consequences of it. Firstly, they had a radical attitude to their possessions. For this group of people in the early church, they held everything in common. There was no such thing as, this item belongs to Everything that they had, whether it be great possessions or not that many at all, they held in common. They shared. They were willing to let it go out and be used. My next door neighbour had a sign, and I'm sure still has a sign in his workshop, that says, Never a borrower or a lender be A great principle because the things that we buy, we like to take care of them, and there's that risk whenever we let them out that they're going to get broken, they're going to be damaged, and our items are going to come back as second rate. But the Bible says the apostles teach and they lived that the reality is our possessions are held in common. They had cultivated an attitude so radical that they thought their possessions as being available to help their needy sisters and brothers in every way possible. So the first consequence is that they had a radical attitude to their possessions. Secondly, this group of people dealt in sacrificial actions. First 34 and 35 tells us, From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the seals and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. This selling of land, can you imagine it? Let's say you own a field in the middle of the Ards Peninsula. What I'm told is prime land. And you sold it all for, I don't know, would I be guessing, at a, hundred, a couple of hundred thousand, maybe that's a bit generous. And you brought it up and you laid it down at the feet of whatever our modern-day apostles are. We give it to the church. Would we think of that? Well, this is what these people did. It was voluntary and it was sporadic. But it was all done as the need for ready cash arose. It wasn't mandated that you must do this. If you have land, go and sell it. But as the cases rose where money was needed to help those Who had need of it, so it would be done. Land would be sold, premises passed on, and money received. And it was always, always for the purpose of being distributed to those in need. So, secondly, these people dealt in sacrificial actions. Thirdly, they ensured that the distribution of their money and goods was proportionate to genuine need. Listen to this comment on this passage. We must have hearts that are harder than iron if we are not moved by the reading of this narrative. In those days, the believers give abundantly of what was their own. We in our day are content, not just jealously to retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. They sold their own possessions in those days. In our day, it is the lust to purchase that reign supreme. At that time love made each man's own possessions common property for those in need. In our day such is the inhumanity of many that they begrudge to the poor a common dwelling upon earth, the common use of water, air and sky. Does it sound right for our generation? It probably does, but the shock is this was written by John Calvin in the sixteenth century. As he looked around and saw his society. What this early church displayed was care of the needy and the sacrificial generosity which the Holy Spirit created. To them, as they saw the need, they dealt with it. As they saw people coming to them, believers, non-believers, to show the love of Christ and to build fellowship and community. They offered what they could. So where does this idea of simplicity in life and commonality in our possessions come from? Well, ultimately it comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's take a step back further than Jesus and go to the law that God gave his people. Because the law taught in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 4 that that there should be no one poor among you. The law said that we should live in such a society that they're, they're, they're not anyone who is poor. Everyone should have enough as we share it around. We don't leave anyone who is of the community. We don't allow them to fall. We don't allow them to go without. And Jesus takes it further in his teachings in saying that the kingdom was good news for the poor. This good news could not could only come if they were offered justice as well as salvation. The abolition of their poverty as well as the remission of their sins, so writes start again. Jesus teaches it must go hand in hand. We can't preach Jesus loves you if someone remains in their poverty whenever we have the opportunity and Christ's love to help them out. So let's translate this for our time and our day. What are we like with our material possessions, whether they be practical objects in our homes or the money in our bank accounts? If I'm honest, and I can't be anything else but honest as I preach this, I was very serious about my desire of what is new and what is shiny. And it has taken me time to learn mainly because of my reduced circumstances as a student, that I can't live how I would like to live in keeping up with everyone else. And I have learnt over these past number of years that these new shiny objects don't really matter because next week there will be another new shiny object that replaces the last one. And I'm beginning to see my possessions as things that are to share for the enjoyment of friends and family and not just for my own pleasure. So, what about yours? I'll admit it, it hasn't been easy. It really hasn't. For those whom I've served with in this congregation already, you will know that I quite like perfection, I don't like scrapes and things on my objects. But to give them out runs that risk, but to also give them out and share is what I'm commanded to do. So what about our possessions? When we think of simplicity, how do we understand it in our own lives? We cannot deny that we live in a position where we are richly blessed with all kinds of possessions and wealth when compared to the majority of the people living in this world. But do we see everything as a gift from God? We only have because he has given. Folks, can I challenge you as I challenge myself? Because if we're honest, we don't like it when we hear this talked in church about our money and our possessions. But as I have been challenged over this past week, can we view our possessions as God's possessions? When we come to give our money through our weekly offering, we have no issues in saying that this is God's money. But what about everything else that we have in our homes? Can we say that our cooking utensils are God's? Therefore, we will not only use them to produce our own food, but also produce food for others who may be in need of it. For those who have I'm going to sound very old-fashioned when I say this, but modern gaming devices as Xboxes, Nintendo Wiis, and whatever else is out there, as we have them for our families, can we also share them with kids in our neighborhoods who actually don't have a moment of pleasure because of the home circumstances that they're in? Can we share what we have, knowing that it is not really ours, but it is the Lord's? As disciples, we need to foster this concept that everything is God's, and that starts with our money. It has to. It is the thing that this world teaches us we use to get what we want and get what we need. So it must start at that point of how we use the money that we are given by God. As God gives to us financially, there also comes a command that we are to be responsible or to use the biblical term to be good stewards of what he gives us. We have to be good stewards in what we buy. We have to be good stewards in how we give our money away. There's absolutely no point in amassing wealth. For some, in the early church, they sold the land. We read of um, the one they called Barnabas, Joseph, the Levite from Cyprus, who came with the money that he'd received from selling a plot of land. They give What they didn't need. What wasn't essential to living their daily lives. They didn't hoard or stock up. They gave what was not essential. What in our lives is not essential? What are the essential things and what what are the luxuries? What do we need to live? And what can we sacrifice and give up so that we have more to give to God? and to entrust to others to use in his way. To be a radical disciple, we need to start thinking simply in terms of our possessions and our money. And when the world sees how we treat each other and how we treat our possessions, they will mark us as different. And what a testimony that is. As we were thinking this morning of that monk from North Africa, one in 50,000, but yet changed the face of the Roman world. By how we live and how we treat others and our possessions, will others see Christ in us? Let's move on in the chapter uh, to read of a warning that we receive from Luke. And it's a warning about hypocrisy in this life of simplicity that we are called to. And the story centers around Ananias and Sapphira. And this story is about deceit and death. And it is important for several reasons. First of all, in it we see the honesty of Luke. Luke could very easily have tidied this away, he said, "Let's not report this to the world. Let's not air our dirty laundry in public. Let's keep this persona that we are good and holy people." And what Luke does is opens up a window for us to see that there were troubles. People were influenced so easily in the early church that they weren't without their feelings. They weren't without their flaws. It was not all romance and righteousness, as John Stott says. And we are told of how this married couple sold a piece of property. They were doing what others had set the example of. And verse 2 in chapter 5 clearly says that they kept some of the money from the sale for themselves and presented the rest to the apostles. We can only surmise from this that there was some immediate need in the community that the money had to be brought in for some reason and Peter immediately asks why Ananias kept some of the money for himself in general terms there was nothing wrong in Ananias keeping this money for himself the land was his to sell therefore the money was his to own and again the money was his to do with what he liked To understand why Peter asks this question, and why it is an issue, we actually need to go back to what the original languages say. For Luke, in declaring that Ananias kept part of the money for himself, he chooses the verb nephissimai. Nephissimai means to misappropriate. So in other words, there must have been some deal where Ananias and Sapphira said, there's a need, we will go sell our land and give it all to you. There was some informal contract set up with the church. So because of this, when they brought only some instead of all, they were guilty of embezzlement. But in this charge that Peter says to Ananias, he wasn't concentrating on the sin, but on the hypocrisy. The issue was that Ananias lacked integrity in only bringing part of the money when he was disguising it as all of the money. He wanted the credit, And the prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. The charge brought against him was that he had not lied to men, but he had lied to God. He offers no excuse whatsoever as to why he has done this. And when he hears the charge, he drops dead and is taken out to be buried. And what is interesting in this passage, it tells us that the whole people gathered together were seized with fear. In this action, they see a lesson for themselves in what they offer to God about being sincere and being people of integrity in their sacrificial giving. Sefira comes in three hours later, oblivious to what has happened, and Peter questions her about the price of the land and says, is this the price, the full amount received? And she says that it was. So she too lies And is as guilty as her husband. And she has the same fate as Ananias. And the men who have just buried her husband were going to bury her next. And once again, this great fear seized the church. They knew now not to test the Spirit of God. To them, this life of sacrificial giving and simplicity was a serious one. And the question comes: how serious do we take the call to simplicity? A life that only purchases and uses what is essential and sees every possession and every penny as the Lord's. What does a life of simplicity look like for us? And let's be honest, this is a great challenge. As we think of what we own and what we have, it is a challenge to us. It would be so easy for me to rhyme off a list of things that I think people should be sacrificing but at the end of the day it is about the decisions that we all make individually i raise a few just to get you thinking are we purchasers of newspapers and magazines perhaps it's something that we have to have and if we are and we can't do without them well can we share them around if we are gardeners can we share our equipment to fellow gardeners If we are baking and cooking and overproduce what we make, can we share the labours of our hands with others? If we are knowing blessing through a comfortable income, can we share it with those whose income is stretched? A life of simplicity calls us to first of all think about what we have, and then it calls us to think about how we treat what we have. This warning... Is that God takes our offering to Him and His people seriously? We cannot keep and hoard what is really His. We may not like the idea of simple living or a simple life, a life that makes us different from everyone else around us. But it is the mark of a radical disciple. When we embrace a life of simplicity, we will discover that it is liberating and draws us closer to our Father as we depend on him to provide for us and not on ourselves for what we can do. The challenge is great, but the message is clear. God requires us, as we desire to follow him, to be simple in how we live so that we can bring him the glory that we can help his people grow and that through all of this he will do his work he will call his people closer to himself and on that day when Christ returns he will number a multitude of people who have come to faith through our actions and ourselves being used by him so mightily as radical disciples. Let's pray. Father, you call us to make difficult decisions in life. Decisions that go against years of habit. Help us to take seriously the life that you call us to. A life where we are to give up the things that are not essential so that we can give more to you so that you can use it to bring glory to your name in saving your people. Help us think through this. Help us to see how you want us to live. Help us to be your people. And may we know the joy of having you delight in us as we continue to know your love each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.